Hi, everyone. My name is Jennifer Sang, and you're listening to In the Lead. In today's episode, I want to talk about empathy. And I have a conversation today with Scott Spiker that I'm really excited to share with you. But Scott and I talked about what does empathy look like in the workplace? And I'm not sure about you, but for me, empathy has always been one of these words that's kind of hard to define. And I feel like it gets interchangeably used a lot with sympathy. And I think people misinterpret it. So I want to just talk about today, what does empathy look like and how can you begin to cultivate that in your everyday life? Because in my opinion, empathy, just like trust, just like so many other um, emotional traits are developed internally first. If we want to be sympathetic, empathetic to people externally, we have to be able to do that really well with ourselves first. So Scott and I talked today about how do we cultivate empathy? What does empathy mean if you're an everyday leader in an organization? What does it also look like from a sales perspective? Because Scott spends a lot of his time working in the sales field and working with customers. So a little bit about Scott. Scott is an enterprise sales professional, speaker, and storyteller who is dedicated to bringing humanity to the sales process. He is a proud member of Team Half Full and chooses to seek out and amplify the positive aspects of life, leadership, and business. He lives in San Francisco Bay Area with his family and enjoys the outdoors, live music, and writing. Um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy the conversation I had with Scott today. Scott and I have known each other for about over a year, and we actually first met, we always joke, jokingly say over tacos because we had connected on Twitter. And then a couple of months back, we decided to meet up in, in real life and we both share a love of tacos. So we had a great conversation over tacos. And ever since that first time I met Scott, I just knew that he would be a great person to interview on this podcast. And another little tidbit is Scott is an active member of the Leaders Chat community on Twitter. So every Wednesday at five o'clock Pacific, I co-host a Twitter chat called Leaders Chat. And I've actually, I'll put that down in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. But Scott is an active participant there and we talk about a range of topics. And Scott always has a lot of really interesting perspectives on leadership. Um, We've talked a lot about empathy as well. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this conversation today. So welcome to the show. Welcome to the In The Lead Show. My name is Jennifer Sang, and I am here today with Scott Spiker. Um, We are going to be talking about empathy and what empathy looks like in the workplace and maybe some tips and tricks on things that you can do to help build that empathy empathy and cultivate that in your daily life. So Scott, thank you for joining the show today. Thanks, Jennifer. Glad to be here and, and excited to talk about this topic in particular. Yeah, yeah. Empathy is a word that you hear a lot. Um, I know I hear a lot in my corporate role. Empathy is usually at the top of the ticket, um, especially from HR, especially from leaders saying we need to build more empathy. And, you know, one of the things that I always like to think about is kind of looking at what is empathy and what does empathy actually mean, especially in organizations and in the workplace. So I'm curious your thoughts. If I were to ask you, what does empathy mean to you? What would you say? Oh, it's so hard to describe it. But I think if I was to put a few words around it, it's really looking at either a situation, uh, an action, a reaction through the eyes of another person and not your own experience, your your lived experience, your cultural experience, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, putting your yourself in another person's shoes and, and viewing the world that way. Okay. Yeah. I would probably say for me too, it's very similar. And how would you say empathy differs from sympathy? Oh, you know, I think empathy is really trying to understand. Whereas sympathy is really trying almost to comfort or uh, sympathy comes with this sense of not, not pity, but just this sense of, 
I want to help that person or I, I care for that person. Whereas empathy is, I want to understand that person. Why did mm-hmm. so-and-so do that? Why did they say that that way? Why did they um, act that way? What is their journey to this point that has led them into a specific either way that they work, way that they interact with people? And, and, and how can I understand that before I, as a leader, either respond, react, uh, or otherwise, I want to make sure that I understand that person uh, first. Yeah. Yeah. I also think of it similarly. I think of sympathy as like holding the space. Like I can hold the space and kind of be present with you. I may not be able to understand. I may not be able to connect with you, but I can provide a space that's safe for you so that you can have an experience where to me, empathy is within that space, being able to have a connection to that person, whether it's like you said, through lived experience, or even just having that ability to be present enough to just feel the emotions and feel that connection with someone else. Um, So I look at it a lot the same way. And I'm curious your thoughts on how do you think that that plays a role in leadership? Wow. In, in leadership, I, particularly now, I mean, I think we're in such a strange era of leadership as a whole. Uh, the last two years, I mean, really the last 10 years has, has created this strange new way of working where empathy is so much more critical as a leader to understand your team. If you look at generationally, you have, I believe it's five different generations that are in the workforce. Sometimes you still have the, the boomers that are there, Gen X, Gen Y, you know, millennials, Gen Z, is that four or five? Anyway, however many generations in the workforce, and they all approach work so much differently. And so Mm -hmm. I think that having that ability to listen and understand and and Mm -hmm. empathize with someone who is generationally different than you, but Mm -hmm. still you're, you're trying to work together, you're trying to lead them, how do you understand, you know, the way that they work and still get things going and still keep things moving? And I think you're seeing that right now with the quote unquote great resignation. People mm-hmm. you know, quitting jobs because companies want them to come back to the office. Well, we're still in the middle of the pandemic. What does that look like? It, and are you not, are you serious? You want me to come back to the office? What for? Why, why do you need me here? I've been productive for the last 18 months. Why do you need me in the four walls of the office? Uh, and so I think there's that empathy disconnect in leadership right now that mm-hmm. if you're going to maintain your best people, you need to to put on that empathetic ears to listen to what your people are actually saying about whether they want to come back to the office or not. Yeah. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about it feels to me like it's ensuring all voices are heard as well. Mm-hmm. And one of the greatest examples I've seen recently was within um, my, the company where I work, I, uh, recently attended a internal session where they were talking about empathy and coming back to work. And one of the things that our CEO said was, you know, we want to make sure that everyone feels comfortable. And we recognize that there are people out there right now who don't feel okay with it. So we don't want to put that responsibility on people to make that decision. And for me, it was just, it, it made my heart really happy because think a lot of times we try to maybe empathize with the loudest people in the room or maybe Mm. the largest group of people who feel a certain way, but there's a whole section of people, you know, maybe 25, 30, 40% who feel uncomfortable with something. And it's important to acknowledge and empathize with them as well, not just the majority or whatever's the easiest or the, you know, the one that's going to make you look good. That, that group of people, we're not just empathizing with them, we're empathizing with everybody. so it feels like more you're giving a voice to more people. Yes, you're, and you're listening for the things that are not being said. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's critical as well. It's you know you can listen to the loudest voices in the room, like you said, but what about the the voices that are not speaking up? Those that don't feel comfortable, either from a an upbringing standpoint or a cultural standpoint or or whatever it may be, where they just don't feel comfortable speaking what's truly going on. And I think of a great example uh, in in film that we saw, if you remember back to uh, Goodwill Hunting, uh, the mm. 
the, the two characters, Matt Damon is Will, and he's suffered of foster homes and a lot of abuse throughout his life. And he's meeting with Robin Williams, who is the therapist at the time. And there's a critical scene where Robin Williams is saying to him, it's not your fault. And he just dismisses it like, yeah, I know. And it's, it's not your fault. I, I get it. I got it. And he has to say it, Robin Williams has to say it five times to really break through and really get to the truth of him not or recognizing and being able to accept that it was not his fault. And you see him break down. And I think a lot of people in the workplace put up these walls of I'm good. I'm okay. Hey, how you doing, Bob? I'm great. Thanks. Um, but really, you know, Bob's home life is is really in shambles right now, or maybe there's something else that's going on. And, and we have this such a surface level sometimes that we have to dive deeper into what's really going on. And it, and it sounds like your CEO has a commitment to empathy from the top down, which is fantastic mm-hmm. to be able to hear those unspoken pains, issues, et cetera, from, a, from an empathetic leadership standpoint. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think you raise a really good point. And it's just something that I have noticed just in my own personal journey is that in order for me to develop empathy with others, I've noticed that I've had to develop that empathy with myself. So something that I've started doing, which was a little uncomfortable at first, but how you cultivate and build empathy for me has been around doing what I say. So when I tell people, look, I want to know how you're doing. So if I ask you, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I want you to be honest. When people ask me, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I try to be as vulnerable as I can allow myself to be in that moment. So I'll say, you know, yeah, it's been really tough or I'm really excited or you know, I'm really tired, whatever it is, but trying to build that, um, that empathy internally has really helped me feel more confident and comfortable extending that empathy out to others. And I think you make a good point when you said, there's a lot of surface level conversations going on. I think we're just feeling obliged. Like we have to, you know, say, Hey, I'm okay. Because to me, that says you can't handle what I'm going through. And maybe I can't even handle what I'm going through. So I'm just going to say whatever thing that needs to be said to make you feel okay. So that we can end this conversation. Right. But there's a lot of vulnerability and empathy and there's a lot of kind of stretching and uncomfortable uncertainty maybe in empathy that I think sometimes we're afraid to kind of lean into. So um, I think it's absolutely important. And I don't know how that lands with you, but for me, it's just always been this inside out approaches with, I want to give more, extend that empathy to others. I really need to cultivate that empathy even for myself internally. Um, and, and I smiled because that's the person that I'm the least empathetic with is myself. You know, I, I want myself to to hold myself to a certain standard. So it's a lot of that internal mm-hmm. talk is, hey, why'd you mess up on that? Why, did, why didn't you do that? Or why did you say that? I'm so critical of myself, but yet very empathetic with others. And so that's a good, a good takeaway for me, at least in this conversation is like, look, empathy starts internally and it starts with you. It's almost that um, put your own oxygen mask on before you help another, just like when you're on a plane and and they tell you that because, you know, you can't help others if you yourself are not in tune with what's going on with, you know, you're not listening to your own heart and your own hurt. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you can't focus there, how can you help someone else? Well, and I think it only also intensifies your ability to be empathetic and have that empathy when you really know yourself, when you've gone to those really deep, painful places, it makes it a lot easier when someone's presenting something for you to immediately connect with that and be like, I totally get it. Like I can, I'm right there with you. Like I know what that feels like. So there's almost like this deeper knowing too. It's not this just again, superficial, because sometimes in corporate and organizations, it does feel a little like that's just the word we need to use because it sounds good. And aspirationally, it's like what we want to get to, but are we really, really cultivating that every day? You know, maybe moments, but um, yeah. So I'm curious, like from, I know you're a sales guy. So how do you see empathy playing a role in the sales organization? Oh, wow. So I, I think the, the best salespeople are empathetic. Uh, you know, you you get the 
the stereotype of salespeople, the, the sleazy used car salesman that just is, you know, out to, to score a quick buck. And there's certainly those salespeople in every organization that are coin operated and coin driven. But I think the ones that are most successful are the ones that sit down with the customer and say, how, how can I help you? How can I support you? And, you know, one of the ways that from a sales perspective that I've done is using, um, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. We're very, you know, this, this 12 step process around going, uh, through storytelling. And so if you look at that, it's mm -hmm. the hero would be the customer rather than the salesperson. And the salesperson is going to be the mentor. So mm -hmm. with an empathetic ear to hear what the customer is saying or not saying, you know, they may be happy with where the company is going or maybe not happy, or they need to prove themselves to their boss. Or if you're trying to sell solution B when they just bought solution A, mm -hmm. and now you're trying to position something that is going to counter what it was that they just, the decision that they made with the information mm -hmm. they had available you run into a lot of risks there. So listening empathetically and hearing what is not being said, what is not mm -hmm. spoken is critical, but then just also understanding these people have a job to do their and their yeah. job is not to meet with salespeople, you know, quite yeah. frankly, it's, it's <laughs> to do a job. And so how can I empower them to do their job in the quickest way possible, the most efficient way and with the least cost? And if I can do that, then then you you really truly form a partnership rather than just trying to sell someone something and walk away. Yeah, I like that you said partnership because I also feel like it's also about building relationships and empathy. I feel like would be a really powerful tool in being able to build those relationships to almost be able to hear the thing behind the thing is what I think I heard you say and understanding like what's really kind of driving either that decision or that um, that that thing that's coming up in the sales motion, right? Like what is really kind of behind it? Because a lot of times, I mean, I'm sure as you know, like what's happening on the surface is really just kind of the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot going on and how can you build better, deeper relationships with people through empathy? I, I would just imagine as a salesperson, that would be a really important tool to have. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the, there's a great quote around sales. Um, Forrester researcher, James McQuivy, he wrote a book called uh, Digital Disruption. And that the quote mm -hmm. that stands out to me is, uh, the only source of competitive advantage today is knowledge of and engagement with customers. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it doesn't matter what widget or solution or tool you're selling, there's another competitor out there. But if I can know my customer, if I can engage with them in the way that they want to engage, if I can respect their time, respect their resources and their team and engage with them in such a way, my solution is going to be able to win and, and help them. And then sometimes, honestly, being empathetic is to say, this solution is not for you. I, you don't need this. You need to go with my competitor and that mm. connection that you form, that partnership you form, you create that trust and that empathetic bridge almost, if you will, of like, look, if this was my money, I wouldn't buy it. And, mm -hmm. and that if you can speak that as a salesperson, wow, it's, it, it provides a, a powerful position for you to be in. Yeah, I feel like what's why I'm smiling and I'm thinking as you're speaking is every time I go to like, let's say, get my car worked on or get new tires, I'm always thinking to myself. Are you being honest with me? Would you really be telling me right now? Should you buy it from here? Or would you say, no, go over here? Like, I feel like it's so rare, like in like all aspects of sales that people are have integrity, are honest, are even empathetic, right? To the needs of their customers and knowing it again, it feels like it's what's best for the other person, not necessarily what's best for, for you. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. Um, and, and for me, it was actually a huge uh, uptick in my sales. Way, I mean, this is probably oh, 15 years ago, we sold ingredients from all over the world for food and beverage products, cosmetics as well, and had a, we had a core set of about 50 ingredients, but our, our product catalog was 300. Mm -hmm. And so my best customer, my biggest, uh, and they were coming to me for certain ingredients. And I, at one point I just said, you know, look, I can sell that to you, but I have to put at minimum a 20% margin on top of it. 
why don't I give you the phone number of my supplier and you go direct to them? Mm. I lost, I lost that portion of their business, but the trust and, and partnership and respect that I gained in that interaction yielded mm. multiples fold in yeah. future business of the products that we did and we did well and we were competitive on, we had control over it. it just, it reduced headaches all around. The customer was happy. I was happy. And our competitor, quite frankly, we created a relationship with them as well because we were sending them business. And mm-hmm. if you can do that, it, it takes a, a very secure salesperson to do so and, and to, to look long-term rather than short-term. You can't just look at this quarter or this fiscal year. You have to look at what's the life cycle of, of working with that customer. Yeah, I think building empathy, any in building that trust and all, all that you were speaking about, any it's all a long game. I mean, even if you're trying to cultivate it and build it within yourself, it's definitely not like a flick of the switch. And I feel like as a society, we are very short-sighted and we want that like instant gratification and we don't have the ability to kind of see past, right? Like what will this deed, what what will happen if I plant this seed now? What will that produce me in the future? It's more of, we need to be able to get this here right now and solve this problem right now. Nothing else matters. And then I feel like it's just a cyclical, like we're just going around and round. And then occasionally we'll throw in and be like, we need to be more empathetic. And then we go round and round. <laughs> and wait, yeah, we need to like, it. I don't know. I just feel like there's something like we could do that's just so much more. Um, like you said, having a really secure salesperson. To me, that again, goes back to how do you cultivate and develop that? internally right because if you have that it just naturally is extended in everything that you do um so yeah, yeah. i can see that being powerful well now, and i i love that you're with with cisco uh because i you know the golden gate bridge is the logo and it always has been for mm-hmm. for cisco and i think about that in particular it, it's my favorite bridge to cross uh, i've crossed mm-hmm. a lot of bridges new york chicago that one's my favorite simply because of the size and scale of it. But if you go back to the history, it took cooperation between the north side and the south side. It took driving uh, concrete down to bedrock to build the foundation. Mm -hmm. And it it takes a continual painting, you know, paint one side, then come back and paint the other side. And it's a continuous process. And that really is that building that bridge. And I, I love that it's the logo there because you have to build a bridge between your customer and the solution that you're selling in your company mm-hmm. to partner together to to have be- business transact. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree. I I love the symbolism of it as well, and it is one of my favorite bridges too. Um, hey. It's just so beautiful. I mean, standing up. But I, I was thinking about it as you were talking those moments when I'm standing in the middle of the bridge and the wind is like whipping, and I mean, it looks like so serene and peaceful. <laughs> Get up on top of the bridge. There's like. Cars oh, yeah. flying Total around. Chaos. There's all the. I mean, it's chaos, but it, it feels so serene, even amongst the chaos. Um, and a lot of times, for me, that's almost what empathy feels like. If I can manifest that, like a feeling, it feels that way sometimes, where it may feel a little chaotic and uncomfortable and swirling, but at the same time, there's this like peace or this serenity that's there as well. That it's almost this beautiful combination that you would never, never think of. So. I love the same oh, yes, that. Well, and I, it, when you're talking about that, that calm and the chaos and empathy, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if you've experienced this where, where you just get the sense about someone they're, they're just having a bad day or they're, they're struggling yeah. and you're in the middle of, of whatever it is that you're doing. And you just say, you pause for a moment. Are you okay? No, yeah. really? Are you okay? And then they just break down and all of a sudden just unload this burden that they've been carrying. And, and I think that's, that that's a that's empathy in a nutshell it's like okay look i i realize your back is hunched over from all this that you're carrying Uh, i'm not going to be able to solve that for you but can i at least grab one of those bags that you're carrying and help lighten your load so that we can walk together um and that calm and the chaos that that refuge uh Mm -hmm. that support that you provide is that empathetic leadership and i i'll tell you coming into the next couple of years, five to 10 years, really, in society, we're going to need so much of that. I, I think people are exhausted. They're hopeless. They're frustrated. Mm-hmm. They're, they are fearful. Um, some are arrogant. Some are, are you know, this is, this is my way and I'm, that's the only way I'm going to do it. And that's fine. But 
but there we're going to need a lot of understanding, a lot of empathy, a lot of support to be able to come out on the other side of this as a functional society. I agree. I, I think we're starting to see it. And I, I know a lot of people are starting to recognize it, but to actually put it in action, I think is going to be difficult, but I feel like it is almost like this transformation that I think is inevitable. It's going to happen and it has to, because yeah, we've almost come to this place of we have nowhere else to go Mm -hmm. and we can't look back. We can't go back. So we've been kind of thrusted into this new world, this new environment with COVID and just all of the things that have been going on the last year and a half, where it's like, you can't unsee it. You can't undo it. So what are we going to do now? Now the empathy is where I think it's going to be that bridge, you know, for a lot of people. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I almost think it's just a matter of time. I just have this feeling that we're going to have this great like switch where we're going to start seeing more and more of this as something we embody and not only something we just talk about or write in books, but, and I, and I've actually seen a lot of it out just in, you know, at restaurants out, out and about, and you just see so much more empathy from people. And I think it's just a product of what we've all kind of been through and, a lot of the reflection I think a lot of people have been doing and just really kind of reevaluating like what's important mm-hmm. to me. Um, from, from your lips to the boardroom's ears, please may it be so <laughs> because it, it is so, it will be so critical and the old way of doing business is not going to fly in this next generation of, of work, whatever it looks like, you know, as yeah. we come out, it, it's just not going to work. Um, mm-hmm. Being, and, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish. I was just gonna say that the narcissistic leader is going by the wayside. It's it's not going to be that way anymore. And you know, there there may be some great people that that make some great innovations, but how you treat people in the age of accountability, the fact that every phone has a camera on it and everyone's connected to the internet at all times, mm-hmm. if you're gonna be a jerk your day of reckoning is coming and you've got to be a leader that understands your people and understands what it is they need and want because you're not the only game in town regardless of how powerful of a company you are yeah and i've i've even seen it and i was just reflecting on this actually earlier earlier this week because i was on a you know a a conference call with um, an executive and he's big into everybody turn on their cameras and a year and a half ago every single person would have reacted and turned on their camera. And I was noting it just the other day that it was about 30%. It it wasn't a high number of people reacted and turned on their camera. And I was just clapping internally, like, yes, like we need more people to continue to stand up and to say, no, this is not okay. And no, I'm not just going to acquiesce to, you know, your control or whatever your narcissism, whatever it is. Um, and speaking about narcissism, I think that's interesting. And I was thinking about it because it, it, to me, that's a continuum. Narcissism and empathy are on the same continuum and they're at the opposite ends of that continuum. And I think we're all, you know, obviously somewhere in there, but to me that says empathy is there, but there's, there's trauma or there's wounding or there's something mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. end of the the spectrum that hasn't been resolved. So again, that's where it comes back to me is like, if you can see that and somehow break through and maybe use empathy with the narcissist, you know, because trust me, we all work with them and and we all know them. Is there a way to influence them or activate them in some way to maybe start moving up the continuum away from such? And I think it starts with also executives having the courage to put a stake in the sand and say, this is not happening anymore. And I'm seeing also a lot more of that too, which I'm really encouraged by. But have courage. You need to have courage to to have empathy and to be a leader. It's just, oh, it's absolutely. Okay. Well, and I, I think that's, you know, certainly I, I can possess narcissistic traits myself. I think we all can yeah. to some degree, but, uh, you know, my wife would remind me that I have them on, on certain degrees. The, but empathy starts with listening. And, and I think that's the, the narcissistic leader. They can only listen to themselves or the people that they respect. And and if you can't listen to everyone and, and the people on your team, the people that you lead and manage, you're you're not going to be able to be empathetic. And, and you know, I think there's this assumption that their experience as a leader is everyone's experience. 
oh, there's there's no racism in America. There's no sexism in the workplace. There's no this. There's no that. And they have these these blocks because they haven't experienced something. And in order to be empathetic, you don't have to experience it, but you have to at least acknowledge that there's something that has happened or something is happening in the workforce, regardless of whether you experience it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not a one size fits, fits all approach. It's really listening with intention too. I was actually just reflecting on a story I heard from a friend of mine who had said that her leader um, had numerous HR cases open against him. Like he was just really not a cool guy. And um, she had said that when HR had come to talk to the team, there were some people who said, Oh no, great. Everything's great. And then others that were like, absolutely. Like something's wrong. And that really highlighted for me at just the fact that it isn't ever a one size fits all approach. And just because one person hasn't seen it or experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And being able again to listen to everybody's voice, not just, you know, maybe the majority or the loudest voice, but listen to everybody and and mm-hmm. take everything seriously and really try to connect with that. And I think you bring up racism. I think that's perfect. And sexism. I mean, that's a perfect example. Some people may not experience it. Others might experience it on a daily basis, but just because other people haven't experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Um, yeah. So I think, again, that's where also developing your own kind of empathy and kind of your own internal um, strength helps you to kind of really see that. And I love that you also keep bringing up listening because I always look at it too, like I do the internal work for myself so that I can quiet my own noise so that I can hear other people more clearly. And I feel like when we can lower that volume internally, it makes us much, it makes it much easier for us just to be able to listen and connect and be present with other people. Wow. I think that's, that, that is a stunning, like takeaway. I'm going to write that down and definitely tweet it out later of lowering our own volume to hear others. That's a huge one. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're in senior leadership, you're, you're so focused on going, going, going that you don't see or hear other voices that are around you. And I, I think of, you know, the quiet voices in our organizations, a lot like the check engine light, right? Okay. The check engine light comes on, but we may not, we may not view it or we may not pay attention to it, or we may dismiss it. And so if we're not listening to those other voices, wow, there's no oil in the engine. There's no gas. There's a Mm -mm. something loose here or whatever it may be that is going to cause problems later on down the line. And I think that's, you see the, I think it was in June or July, that 3.9 million people in the U.S. resigned mm-hmm. from their jobs. Mm-hmm. What? Yep. In the mid, you know, it, we may be at the tail end of a pandemic and things may be picking up, but 3.9 million people left their jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Talk about the the. That's a big check engine light for me. Of yeah, people aren't being treated with respect. They're not being honored. They're not being recognized for the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Their leaders are not empathetic in what's going on. And the fact that parents are dealing with kids at home for, you know, the entire school year or whatever it may yeah. be, there's mm-hmm. so much out there that is these big warning signals. Like you need to listen and you need to listen quickly. Otherwise mm-hmm. you're going to lose your best players. Yeah, I know. We're seeing it all over and people not only, I think there are some who are probably making the decision based on necessity, right? Like. Sure. Maybe I have three kids at home and I just can't, but there are a lot of people, even people I personally know who have consciously made the decision of saying, I'm done. Like I am not, I have reflected over this last year. And what's important to me is work-life balance. What's important to me is not having to commute an hour and a half each way into the office and finding a leader who respects me. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of people, even people I've coached over the last year and a half have said, We've made conscious decisions. It's kind of interesting. I walk with them through the whole process, the process of making the decision, making the transition, and now coming through to the other, the other side. And it's really fascinating to watch people's thought processes because it's very intentional and mm-hmm. it's almost deliberate. When I ask them, like, so tell me, how sure are you? And they're like, I'm 100% sure. I have no doubt in my mind. I need, this is what I need to do. And I'm like, that is awesome. 
I mean, it feels <laughs> empowering to me in a lot of ways where it's like right? in the past, I think people felt like, oh, you know, the system's rigged, like it sucks, but I kind of have to just put up with it. Where I feel like a lot of people now are saying, no, I demand, you know, all of these things that are really important to me. And empathy is definitely one of them that I hear a lot. Yeah. And just that that mutual respect, right? Look, mm-hmm. I'm I'm here. Yes, you're giving me a paycheck, but but do you want me to do my best work? If you want me to do my best mm-hmm. work, then then we need some kind of a social contract here with us. We need to, yeah. you know, you need to support me. I'll support you in the mission that we're on, but but I also need a little bit of whether it be flexibility or understanding or the fact that look, I I don't want you to only manage up. You know, a lot of managers will just, everything comes down from the top. They report up, they manage up, they, they report to figure out what's best for them and their future career. Meanwhile, neglecting all the people on their team. And it's just a void. It's about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I started in the tech world uh, up in Oregon. And, you know, great people up there, but the management was, it was inside sales and everyone from a leadership perspective was managing up. And it just, it broke my heart because you had eight to 10 people on a team that were just wandering through the desert. No one cared about their career development. No one cared about really anything that was going on. And you just saw this, this just island of despair because as a manager, mm-hmm. they should be, hey, how are you doing? Instead of just a check-in, like, did you hit your numbers today? Did you make the calls that you needed to make? Mm-hmm. Did you make the sale? Uh, those yeah. things are important, but hey, how are you doing today? What What is your future mm-hmm. goal and desire? Um, yeah. And just having that empathy to say, I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. I work for you as a manager, yeah. not the other way around. Yeah. And from your lips to the boardroom's ears also with that, where, I mean, the, the managing up has been, as I've worked in tech, I mean, as you know, I've been in tech for 20 years and I see that a lot. And it's got to be the one thing that just drives me the craziest because that's all you see is it feels like a lot of times it's people don't matter. It doesn't matter the team that you're working on. It doesn't matter how everyone's doing as a collective, it only matters about me, about me and how I can influence the big bosses and how I can undermine you and take these projects away from you just so I can get the visibility. It's really ironic though, Scott, as I've watched this cycle happen so many times where that happens and climb the ladder as fast, you fall as fast as you climb that ladder. Yeah. So oh, yeah. it, oh wait, but it's just this never ending cycle where I'm like, can we break the cycle at one point, please? Because I, I I just feel like if we're building empathy and we're building these great organizations, it cannot include those types of behaviors where we're, again, more focused on the individual and not the collective. Um, mm-hmm. It just, just doesn't work. And I'm also seeing a lot of pushback on that too, where people are starting to say, no, like, this is not okay. Like, we we value each other more than we necessarily value whatever title we can mm-hmm. obtain. Um, but I think quieting the noise, again, at least for me, from my perspective, that's been one of the biggest things is when you're trying to work with somebody who might be going through something. Let's say you say, how are you doing? And they say, I'm okay. And this is my favorite thing. It's actually with my therapist. I do this a lot where we'll, I'll go into her her office and I'll say, how are you doing? She's like, I'm okay. And I'm like, how are you really doing? Because <laughs> something's going on. Like, what's up? What's going on? I know you're the therapist, but Tell me what's going on because I, I sense there's something you know happening below the surface there. So it's a matter of not also just taking people at face value. When you can develop that deep level of empathy, you can start hearing not even necessarily things that are said, but what's not said and what's yeah. kind of that what's lurking kind of below the surface. That might be something simple as yeah, hey, my I had to put my dog to sleep last night and I'm just really bummed <laughs> and I just wanted someone to hear, just listen, you know, and hear me say that. I mean, it takes minutes out of your day, right? And it's not that big of a burden. And also I go back to the the metaphor you used of carrying the suitcase. I use that a lot myself where it's like, how can I help carry this? But as a highly sensitive person, I've had to realize that I can't carry it forever for them. I have to let it go at some point. So I think it's also knowing like when to pick it up, but also when to put it down. 
It's really important because it can be a little dangerous um, if you carry too much of that burden for people. Yeah, if you carry the burden, they never grow. You know, I think there's mm-hmm. there's the listening and, and carrying it, but at the same time, it's like, okay, you need to grow as well. And we're, we're seeing that with our youngest because he is our youngest, our baby of the family. He's been allowed to get away with a lot more and not mm-hmm. be as responsible as the older son. And we're, we're really starting to realize, okay, we've got a course correct because we, you know, we cut up his steak for him for quite a while. He can do it on his own. There's other <laughs> yeah. things that he can do on his own that, that he needs to uh, be able to learn to be able to be a functioning adult someday. So mm-hmm. totally yeah. get that. And I, I think you're where you were talking there about the listening for things that are not being said, coming back to your point about quieting the noise. Mm-hmm. I get so busy and sometimes so stressed and and I've got so much going on, so many things in the, in the, on my to-do list that it's noisy and I don't hear. And I think that's Mm -hmm. as a leader, if they want to develop the practice of empathy, certainly it starts with listening, but I think you have to be intentional about building the margins into your day, you know, creating that, that margin on either side of your day to be able to, when some when you ask, hey, how are you doing genuinely? Mm-hmm. And someone responds with they're in the midst of a crisis, you have the time and the ability to actually respond. Mm-hmm. You're not having, well, hey, I can't talk with I can't talk with you about that right now. Um, come come see the corporate counselor or or whatever. No, mm-hmm. let's talk about it right now. Let's put the priority on our people and understand what's really going on. And if you don't have that margin in your day and you're just go, go, go you're not going to be able to hear what's not being said until it's yeah, too late. Oh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It, you, gosh, you're like, read my mind, Scott. Sometimes I'm like, <laughs> you're like ESP or something. You're like pulling it out of my mind. Cause I was actually something I'm thinking about a lot recently because in my career working with many executives at a large high tech company, um, I've seen this where they're like, yeah, I have 70 meetings this week and I, I don't even have time to eat. I don't have time to I think was, wow, like, okay, are you either just like not managing your time well, or can you truly be that busy? Like, I'm not bought into the second, like, I just, but I saw it, right, as escalations, things come up, like, you're super stressed, right, you're trying to handle one call, you're trying to mitigate a problem over here, like, you're just so, like, you're not even present, like, how could empathy even exist when you're, you don't even have the space for it, um, Mm -hmm. or the capacity, um, so I think that is really important is getting very clear yourself about what's important to me, what's a priority, and then figuring out ways to structure your day so that you have that downtime to recharge your batteries, as well as leave space for things to come up and for you to be able to respond, not mm-hmm. just react in the, oh, there's 20 million things going on. I don't, I don't have time for all of this, right? Be more present, be more, be more open and have that empathy there. Yeah. And I, you know, I wonder if empathy scales, Mm. I know it can in a, you know, your CEO was talking about empathy, but, but he's Mm. not able to necessarily execute on that empathy. And so I think that's that, that waterfall of leadership that we, from, from the top leader, you develop empathetic leaders underneath you who can then develop and empathetic leaders underneath them and, and so on and so on. So that the process scales, because I think that's a trap that a lot of empathetic people will fall into is, oh, I, I, I need to solve this problem or I need this person's hurting. So I, especially with HSPs, you know, you go into a place that you want to solve every problem right away mm-hmm. and you end up solving no problems very, yeah. you know, just a little bit, or you, you touch on them a little bit. And so it's, how can we scale that. And I think that's in developing leaders that also have that empathy and realizing that your core people that you can be empathetic with. And certainly there's, there's the one-off cases here and there, Mm -hmm. but having that core leadership that then develops core leadership that develops core leadership down the line is going to be critical. I love that you said that. And I, I agree. I think that is lacking and just what I've kind of heard and seen and experienced, um, across the board, but it's hard, right, to trickle that down because as a CEO or as a CH, CHRO, like you can have these value statements, you can, you can even display it, right? You can model it, but 
it may not resonate six, seven, eight, ten layers down into the organization. So I am a big believer in how do we kind of do that at scale, but I'm also a big believer in grassroots. Like mm -hmm. I have always been in my career a person of if my leadership isn't there, I don't I don't need them necessarily to help me do what I'm going to do. Like how can I again go back to myself and say, what can I do? Because I can only control me. How can I cultivate all of these things like empathy and collaboration, whatever you want internally, so that then I can extend that out and start building it almost from the ground up. Mm -hmm. So making your impact where you can, because I like to get that message out to people, like don't necessarily wait for leadership to act. You have, you have the power to act as well, and you can make impacts at whatever level you're at in the organization, but start modeling it and mm -hmm. start to, I mean, again, it, it, it really, it, it almost catches on like fire. Like you start being this way. People sense that people want mm -hmm. to emulate that people are inspired by that. So don't always necessarily wait if you're in an organization where you don't feel like there's a lot of empathy or there's a lot of real inspiration, start living that and being that wherever you are and yeah. start building what you can from wherever you are. And it's almost like, it feels like it's almost like this top, it's coming from the top down, but also the bottom up at the same time. I feel like there's this, so when you talk about scale for me, it's almost this intersection of both where it's like, yes, let's work on kind of the trickle down you know, leadership, but also how do we build leadership from the ground up as well? Um, don't wait for them to come to you. Like there are things that you can do. Um, you you just woke up my, my inner Southern woman in church. <laughs> preach, preach it. Uh, that's preach it, the, preach it. You've nailed it. And that's, it, it's so, I, I put such an emphasis on it, emphasis on it because I've seen, uh, I've been 10 years here in Silicon Valley now. And, you know, the, the heroes or the, at least the ones that are most prominent in Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. you see the lack of empathy and, and you see the, um, you know, the, the solution that they're creating is designed for good, but what you hear about their CEOs is not. And, yeah. and the, just the, the hubris, the narcissism, the, focus on myself and my pay package and my, you know, mm -hmm. island that I bought in such and such Pacific ocean. It just is, there, there's so much out there. And, mm -hmm. but then you start to see things that, that pick up and you're like, wow, that's a really strong leader and look at their mm -hmm. team and look at how their team is thriving. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's the company that draws people to it that draws the VC funding that draws the media attention because they're creating and cultivating this mm -hmm. empathetic leadership where people want to bring their best work rather than, yeah. well, that's a great company to work for because it's a great logo. And I'm just using right. it to resume build as I skip on to the next company. Right. Yeah. And the, the ironic thing about Silicon Valley, I agree with all that, by the way. And FYI, anybody listening, um, Elizabeth Holmes is not a corner case. Like I see that type of behavior every day, like everywhere, like the deceit, the persuasion, the like, hey, yo, like I'm really cool. You want to be a part of this? Like I'm building my empire. Like it's rampant. But one of the things that's really good about that is that I feel like in Silicon Valley, the companies are always competing with one another. So I'm waiting, I'm always waiting for what's going to be the company to step forward and take a courageous stand on something. Because if you'll notice when one does it, all the others start doing it, right? You see mm -hmm. Apple step out and say something. Oh, then Google, Facebook, you know, Cisco, LinkedIn, we're all now on this train of, you know, we got to focus on work-life balance. I think what I'm most interested in, especially around empathy and building this new way of leadership is we're saying a lot of good stuff. Are we going to continue it? And is it real mm -hmm. or is it just kind of what everybody wants to hear right now? And then in five years, it'll be, you know, back to business as usual. Yes. The, time will tell. The, I think the beauty of that is yes, time will tell, but the people will tell. We, we live in this world of indeed and Glassdoor and all that. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. that that is the, at the end of the day, Glassdoor reviews. Yeah, there may be some bad and some that are artificially made by the company, but that's a really good litmus test for the empathy and the leadership that is in that company in mm -hmm. starting to read some of those reviews 
what is what is really going on behind the scenes in this organization beyond what PR and advertising can buy. Yeah, yeah, no, that's so true. Um, you know, as we were talking, I was thinking to myself, if you had, like, let's say you had the best leader you can imagine, and imagine this person was empathetic and they were leading with empathy, what are some of the things you would be seeing and feeling working for a leader like that? Wow, that's a good question. I think the ability to take risks without fear of retribution. I mean, there's always accountability for the actions that you take, but to, to take a risk and really step out into a new area, a new field, or try to push boundaries a little bit without feeling like, man, this I, I can't do this because I'm going to lose my job if I fail. Mm -hmm. uh, so trust, trust in me that, that I know what's going on, that I'm going to do the right thing for the company. Mm -hmm. um, and then just someone who is truly present in a one-on-one. -on -one. It's not just about, okay, what's your sales today? It's, you know, hey, hey I, I know your son had a soccer game last night. Did they win? How did he play? What, what was the, mm -hmm. what was the takeaway? You know, things like that, where they're, they're knowledgeable of you and your life beyond the workplace. Yeah. Um, and then I think when we get so busy that it's evident that we're all stressed, hey, mm -hmm. take, you know, do what you need to do. But Friday at noon, I want you to shut your laptop down and don't open it up again until Monday morning. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, to, to someone yeah. that's that's in tune with me enough to know maybe better than I when I need a break or when I need to, a governor mm -hmm. on my system because I'm going to burn myself out. Yeah. So I think those things would be some of those keys. Um, but then also just someone who's who remembers things a couple mm -hmm. of years later. You know what I mean? And it's, hey, remember when you you said that, and that it, it truly stuck in their brain about you, um, that that maybe it was just an off the hand comment, but but it was something that that stood out. Yeah, that's so important. I feel like at the crux of most things, people just want to be remembered. Um, and as you were saying that, I was smiling because I can remember one of the first executives I worked for. I mean, I was really young, maybe 20, 21 years old. And he, I remember I worked with him for maybe about three or four months and then went on, you know, other jobs. And I saw him again, 10 years later in the cafeteria. Would you believe he remembered things about me? First of all, he remember my name and I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> that was kind of shocking to me. And then he remembered like small details of, you know, what I was studying in school. Was I still playing basketball? And I was just, my jaw must have been on the ground because I was like, how? Wow. I had never, I mean, again, short period of time we had interacted together. It wasn't like a super substantial relationship, but he remembered the details. And that was just that leader's, I think one of his just kind of secret weapons. Like he was just really good at that. And he was really good at really building that trust and that empathy. Um, and I, and honestly, one of the most well-liked leaders um, I've ever come across. So, I mean, there's something to be said about really developing and cultivating these things. It may not be easy work, but if you can master that, I feel like, I mean, that feeling that you leave with, right? People, I think it's Maya Angelou mm -hmm. who says, people won't remember what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And people will remember how you made them feel. And 10 years down the line, they'll still remember, right? Like, even if it's just a faint, like, oh, I don't know, I don't really like that Scott guy. Like there was something about him. I think that rubbed me the wrong way, um, but they'll remember. Um, so I think it's important to, you know, just be really conscientious of that and how to build and cultivate that every day. Um, this is so important. So I know we're getting towards the end of the hour. So I wanted to ask you, what are, would you say would be two tips you would give somebody if they were wanting to cultivate their empathy, what are two tips you can give them to help them do that? Oh, wow. So one is an activity. Um, it's called a lifeline. And so when we're back okay. in the office, you can do it remotely. But, but one of the things that I've done with my teams is you start with a blank whiteboard and you just draw a line down the middle 
uh, from left to right. And you have your team go through their individual story from essentially from birth or wherever they want to start to where they are today. Things that are were impactful are below that are negative were below the line, and mm. things that were impactful that were positive are above the line. And you mm. have them go through this timeline, this lifeline, if you will, and you really get at the end. I mean, you can do it as short as ten minutes because you're just kind of hitting the majors. I was born here. I was raised there. I have siblings. Mm-hmm. I played these sports. This was my first job. Stuff like that. But at the end of 10 minutes to 30 minutes, you learn so much about someone and you understand what makes them tick. So I think that's an activity that we can learn to to listen to someone and their lifeline and and what brought them to where they are today. The other is just going back to that, recognizing and acknowledging that just because it didn't happen to you doesn't mean it didn't happen. And I think that's a critical one. My wife is the strongest individual I know. Um, Mm -hmm. She suffered from endometriosis. And and now we've been married for 21 years. And going with her to doctor's appointments to have predominantly male doctors say, oh, no, that's, that's not really a thing. When she's dealing with excruciating pain on a regular basis, Mm-hmm. And to just be completely disbelieved. And I'm like, you have no clue. I have no clue. But but she is in pain. And and then to see the doctors that were empathetic. So I think, you know, there's no way I could ever know what that experience is like. But I do know how she feels when she gets dismissed. So yeah. don't be a dismissive leader when when someone's experience that co- brought them to either respond in a certain way, act a certain way, mm-hmm. um, or behave in a certain way because it's not your lived experience doesn't mean it's not valid. Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. And definitely in the medical field, I can, especially as a woman, I can empathize completely with your wife. Um, it's awful and it's so deflating and it's so traumatizing in so many ways because then you feel like well what's wrong with me like it's almost like you're saying like there's something wrong with you because I know I've had this happen to me where it's like I don't know well we it doesn't show up on a blood test so there must be you know maybe it's mental or maybe you know you're kind of I don't know if it's like the woman syndrome right like I'm conjuring up something in my head and it's it's really awful and you know but when you do meet those empathetic, especially healthcare professionals or mm. leaders, it really touches you. Um, so that's really, really, and I love your lifeline um, exercise and I would love to see that more often. I would just fear, I hope it didn't become like a checkbox thing where it's like, okay, we're all going to do this and then do it for like five minutes and then eh, it's gone, right? Like if we really spend time, it might help us understand more about people and even maybe the difficult people maybe the people, even the narcissists, right? Maybe it'll help you understand a little bit more and build that empathy to understand maybe why they are the way they are and why they've you know, gone so far down that continuum. Maybe they had some traumas in their life that you just never knew about. Um, and and I, I think that's, that's really an opportunity. Powerful. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's okay. <laughs> go, go ahead. I think it's an opportunity for the leader to go first in that lifeline, to be the yeah. first one to be vulnerable to be open, to share what it was that that got them to the, this place, regardless of experience, to show that and model that for their team before the team gets up. If you're able to be open and vulnerable, I talk, when I share mine, I talk about being the shortest kid in school up until my senior year of high school. And, mm-hmm. you know, people look at, you know, I'm six foot now and, and built like a linebacker, but but back then I was really small and I was bullied and that bullying has created this sense of, I want to protect everyone around me and my inner circle. And, and, but I'm only able to share that when sharing my lifeline, I would never just come up in conversation. So when my team is hearing that they're like, Oh, wow. Okay. That's why he does this. And that's why this is happening. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I think you're, you're right. It it can be a checkbox and, Unfortunately, for some of the narcissistic leaders, they can use it to manipulate their team. And so that's a that's a caution that they need to be aware of. Right. Um, right. But it is a risk. Right. 
Yeah, I think it's important to build that psychological safety um, for people to feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable. But if you can do it, I mean, I think it would just be amazing and give people so much insight into one another. Um, oh, and I cannot envision you as a little short high schooler because, like you said, you're so so tall and you have such a big presence that I couldn't imagine that. But that must have been a big transformation. Um, oh, seven inches in nine months. It, it hurt. It hurt. I bet. And you're probably eating a lot of Wheaties and eating your parents out of the house. <laughs> Everything in sight. Something like that. Yeah. That's cool. Well, thank you so much today, Scott, for your time. I really, really appreciate that and allowing me the opportunity to interview and talk about empathy. I always love your perspectives and especially from the sales guy kind of perspective. That was really, really neat to hear. So I appreciate that. Awesome. Thanks, Jennifer. It was a great pleasure and looking forward to reconnecting again. <laughs>